Welcome to Pixel Tunes Radio, a podcast where we have fun talking about video games and video game music. I'm Machine Gun Mike, and I'm Assault Rifle Ed, and this is episode 94, Target Shooting Games. Episode 94. 94. Where did the time go? It went down the toilet. Down the toilet. Went to the shooting range and got blasted away. <laughs> blasted into the toilet. Yes. So today's episode is all about games in which you hold a rifle or firearm of some sort. Hold your gun. And and shoot at the screen. Spray enemies. Yeah, we were going to call it light gun games, but then we realized that some of these don't necessarily constitute as light gun games. Right. If you're talking about it technologically. So Yes, technology-wise, things have changed quite a bit, so yeah. we decided we'd call it target shooting games instead. But you guys get the point, right? Yeah. 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 So what was your first experience with a target shooting or light gun game? I think it was Super Mario Brothers Duck Hunt. Oh, yeah, mine for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Definitely. I think that was most people's experience because so many people got that that control set. Yeah. It was the action set, right? The right. control set was just came with the Mario. Nintendo Duck with the controller. Right. And the action set came with the gun and the double game and the controller. Right. So. Yeah, I, I got the double game, the Mario Duck Hunt. Yeah, me too. And, uh... You know, I liked Duck Hunt. I thought it was a lot of fun. My first, like, I guess you could say, like, true non-Duck Hunt experience, I guess, is Operation Wolf. Okay. I played that in the arcade when I was a super little yeah, kid. Yeah, I so. probably would have, too. <laughs> I always thought it was a very frustrating game. Yeah. And then there was, like, you know, between the NES and the SNES, I remember playing, like, Terminator, mm-hmm. um, the Aerosmith oh, yeah. game yep. uh, in oh, the God. arcades. Revolution X. Revolution X, yeah. With the, uh, the four-second sampled yeah. Aerosmith songs. Oh, man. But those were fun. They were a lot of fun, especially because yeah. my brother and I would play together, and we were both pretty good, so we kind of, like, mow through things together. And the things started getting more, I guess, refined as time went on. Sure. Games like House of the Dead was really, like, that kind of, well, no. I'd say Virtua Cop was the page turner. Right. Because it went full 3D. Mm-hmm. There was a little more tactics involved because yeah. enemies would they would have the, like those little targets that would close in around them and shoot at you. Right. And then games like Time Crisis would pop up with, with little the, gimmicks uh, and yeah, hiding the behind foot boxes. pedal and stuff. Oh, I love that, yeah. the foot pedal. I remember, especially particularly with Operation Wolf, I remember being really frustrated because... I would play the game, and I would die, and then I would realize that I would need to put another quarter in, Mm. and for whatever reason, like, my mind didn't connect with the fact that I need to put more money in, because I was so trained on consoles first. Yeah. So I was like, well, why can't I just hit start and keep going? Like, this is unfair. Yeah. Anyways, let's jump into our Pixel Chat segment. This is where we answer fan questions from you guys. We're going to start off with the first one, which is Rob Nichols from Rhythm and Pixels. And he asked, which is your favorite classic console controller? That's a lot of... Classic console controller. The triple C. Yeah. So We kind of already answered this one. A little Uh, bit. I think somebody asked us what our favorite controller of all time was. So this narrows it a little down, too. Because I think my answer was not really a classic controller, but you picked SNES controller last time. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm going to stick with it. NES and Super NES were, like, the mainstays for me. I will say that... I always felt more comfortable with an NES controller, even though obviously my hands outgrew it. Yeah. But I still can pick up an NES controller and know exactly what's going on. I mean, it's not hard to figure out. But with a Super NES controller, I think there's a lot more that you can do with it. So I think that that's always going to be my default go-to controller. Yeah. You know, PlayStation controllers also up there too. Like PS2 DualShock controller was fantastic. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And then moving on to the PS3. I mean, you never owned one, but. Nope. 
pretty much identical except wireless. So like mm -hmm. they took what was great and made it even better. But as far as classic controllers go, I'd agree with you. The Super Nintendo controller, yeah, for sure, would definitely. be my favorite for all the reasons that you just explained. So ah yes. So now we have another question from Yana Huning, and I hope I got your name right, Yana. I'm sorry if I didn't, and your name is really Jana. That's a little too American. Jana, so. Jana, Yana. Pretty sure. Jana. Yeah. It's know. one of Forgive those us. one of those five. Anyhow, <laughs> she goes, hey, I'm a big fan of your podcast. It's really fun to listen to you guys talk about what has to be one of my favorite parts of video games while working on my own game. And I really want to thank you for inspiring me to get back into making VGM myself. So we're inspirational. Aww. That's so awesome. Anyways, I heard you guys needed questions for the podcast, and this one immediately came to my mind because a friend of mine always discussed about it. If you had to make a crossover between two games where the characters get transported into each other's worlds and have to obey the different rules that world has while still keeping their own unique abilities, which two games would you combine? Ooh, that's a good question. You go first. I had a really good <laughs> answer to this like a month ago when the question was asked. I'm going to say put Bonk in Joe and Mac. Okay. I mean, that's a little too similar. Well, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. I had like a really <laughs> wacky one that would have been so cool and I totally forgot what it was and I'm trying to remember what it was. I feel like they should be similar though because if the play styles are similar then it's just kind of like a fish out of water sort of thing. Oh, I have a good one. This one's way better. Forget that other one. Fair enough. Star Fox and Metroid. Yeah, well that's like peanut butter and chocolate for well, you. Well, yeah, so. but like you take <laughs> Samus, throw her in her ship, put her in space... And she's teamed up with Star Fox, with the, you know, the Fox McCloud yeah, clan yeah, yeah. to shoot stuff down. You know, total rail shooter. Oh, that'd be so good. The one I had was, like, along the lines of something like, like the protagonist from Dark Souls in, like, you know, Mario 3 or something. Oh my something God. that's just completely <laughs> opposite. Because, I mean, he would literally slay. Like, right. you know, I, I don't think Bowser would have any chance against any anybody from the Dark Souls series. Bayonetta in, uh, in Hebereke. <laughs> Popo, Doing little puzzle games. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just something Just really... tangle up these blocks with hair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Make you lose the game. <laughs> yeah, so we would like... Actually, this would be a great question to pose to you guys on our Facebook group yeah. and on Twitter. What two characters would you like to see swapped or what character would you like to see transported into another world? We want to hear your answers on our Facebook group. Yeah. Facebook.com slash group slash Pixeltoons Radio. All right, what's our third question of the day? Final question of the day comes from Utopian Emo, and he asks, my question is if you had to slip and fall butt first onto an analog controller, or should I say analog? I'm really regretting telling that story last oh, episode. Oh, yeah. Uh, or the other episode. Which controller would you choose? N64, Dreamcast, Saturn, PS2, Advanced, Gravis, Super Deluxe, Flight Yoke? Ouch. Inquiring minds don't want to know, but I'm asking anyway. Thanks, YouTube. Uh, Utopian the wordplay. Uh, all right. I don't know. If I'm going to make it worth it, I'm going to go all the way. I'm going to say uh, the Microsoft Flight Simulator Flight Stick. Wow. Yeah, man. Yeah. Got to go all the way. That's that's going to go all the way. It better buy me dinner and a movie Probably first. Probably going to give you a colonectomy while you're there. Nah, man. You just got to, you know, use some video game lube. Sure. Um... You know, I could take the easy, cheaty way out okay, and say the PSP. Okay. Because it's just got that little flat nub, so it wouldn't really do anything. You're a flat nub. Um, and I'm going to keep it that way. <laughs> <laughs> 
Alright, uh, but I guess the most comfortable one would probably be maybe the PS4 controller, because it's got that little rounded top to it. Yeah. You know? I'm it's sure. Not too sharp. I'm sure there's video of, of someone putting that somewhere that they shouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. YouTube. Oh, you know it'd be good PSP. I mean, what's her name? Jessica Chob Chobot? Chobot? She licked one. Yeah. So it's gotta be anus worthy. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. You never saw it. that picture? There's a picture online. It was it was super famous on IGN. This is pretty much what she was known for for like years. Where Jessica Chobot, the IGN, she now works for um, what's it called? Uh, Gamespot. No, Nerdist. She now I believe she works for Nerdist now. Okay. But you know she's pretty attractive, and she was like they took a photo of her licking a PSP. Ah. And so that image is like ingrained in a lot of people's minds. I Not see. me personally, because that's lame. But whatever. So, I mean, you just thought of it now, so... Uh, I, it's because it's <laughs> memorable. It's not sexy, it's more, like, memorable. I, I don't know, it's weird. Pandering. Yeah, pandering, definitely. But uh, maybe the PSP. Maybe. I guess. I don't know. It I also mean, has flat nubs. That's what I said. Yeah. yeah. I said I'd rather fall on the PSP. There you go. Oh, boy. All right. Thanks, Utopia Nemo. Thank for you for... Entertaining our question there. I'm just glad we didn't ask that. have that question asked during uh, the... Last episode. Oh, Matt, the Matt Creamer episode? episode? No, I, that one actually had been asked before that episode, but yeah. I kind of tucked it away. Right. I didn't want that to be Matt Creamer's first introduction to our no, show. No, <laughs> no. Yeah. What controllers do you want to be put? He's like, Where oh, I'm having right? connection issues. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's jump into our first game. So this one is House of the Dead Overkill. This is Ed's pick on the Wii the 2009 release. It also came out in the PS3 later on as yep. an extended cut. Scream Train is the name of the track. It's by Pit Stop Productions or more specifically. Specifically, yeah. John Sanderson and Nadim Daya. Let's hit it.
And we're back. That groovy little tune was from House of the Dead Overkill. It was called Scream Train. It came out on the Wii in 2009, and later on was remastered on the PS3. It was by Pit Stop Productions, specifically John Sanderson and Nadim Daya. Kind of a slow burner, this one, huh? Mother Trucker, this was a great song. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I like how uh, it starts really kind of muted at the beginning and then gets super, super duper funky. And it goes on for like, like the full track is almost seven minutes long. Right. But it keeps adding new instruments and new melodies and it feels fresh the whole time. The entire feeling that I got from this track was that Tim Fallon secretly wrote this track. It sounds like it, doesn't it? It does. It's got that 70s funk. It's not as textured as a lot of the stuff that I think Fallon does a sure. lot. It's not like he uses a lot of more sweeping instruments. These are mm -hmm. a little more staccato, but right. I, I get what you're feeling, basically. Right. It feels a lot like one thing, This would right? also fit with like maybe like a Leisure Suit Larry sort of thing. Oh yeah, for yeah, sure, for yeah. sure. I mean, this game... The music fits the aesthetic perfectly. Yeah. Because if you imagine, you know... It's House uh, of the Dead with Grindhouse. Regular House of the Dead inspired by 60s and 70s, uh, yeah, Grindhouse movies. Right. Uh, kind of fueled by Quentin Tarantino's reinvigoration of the genre uh, with the Grindhouse movies. I think they came out right around the same right, time. Yeah, like, like maybe Death Proof and, a couple uh, years after yeah, this came out. Planet, Planet Terror. Planet Terror and Death Proof, yeah. Uh, which were fantastic movies. And so I guess it's it's canonical with House of the Dead 1 and 2, and he kind of appeared in 3, but uh, so it goes into like Agent G's past when he just, like, just graduated the AMS Academy and his partner, Detective Isaac Washington. And Washington's basically like... Samuel L. Jackson. Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah. The, the similarities are uncanny, especially down to like the F-bombs that he drops every third word. This is definitely an M-rated game for sure. Yeah, they counted on YouTube. Somebody counted the F-bombs oh, and really? all the swearing. I can imagine it's oh, hundreds. It's Yeah, it's crazy. It's pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the whole thing is just, it's got that grindhouse vibe to it. So it's, you know, it's got plenty of sex, drugs, and rock and roll sort of atmosphere to it. But it's a lot of fun to play. I have a lot of fun with this one. This is a good party game, too. Oh, for sure. Because you can put it on and, you know, two people will be playing, but everyone else will be basically watching a movie along with it. So, yeah, I didn't realize that G was in this one as well. Like, I didn't make the connection that that was the same character just because I think the voice acting is much better in this game than in previous games. I mean, House oh, of the yeah, Dead for sure. I mean, they were awful. Pretty laughable. Um, I think that they kind of did that on purpose. Mm -hmm. I mean, well, I, I think in the original House of the Dead, the, the terrible voice acting was an accident. I don't think so. Um, I think it was intentional. You think it was that bad on, I, I do. on purpose? I think it was intentional because they were trying to go for that horror movie, like B-movie vibe. Whereas this kind of goes from a similar kind of feel to it, but it's more towards that grindhouse feel yeah. of the 60s and 70s. Yeah, true. And I think beforehand they were just trying to go for just straight up like horror with unintentional humor like Evil Dead, for example. Yeah, yeah, it could be right. Anyhow, this track, uh, it's called Scream Train because it basically takes place on a train. Yep. Your arch nemesis, Papa Caesar, uh, <laughs> absconds, and uh, you are thrown onto this, or chasing him onto this train that's filled with mutant zombies and such. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the music basically follows the action of the gameplay. So you get that that kind of muted part of the beginning where they're just kind of like getting their bearings, you know, what's the, what's the layout of the train? And then they get into the action and then it picks up. And, you know, you're on rail, so it gives the composers a great opportunity to kind of uh, make the music more dynamic 
to follow the flow of the game much more than something where you're kind of wandering around in a first-person shooter right. kind of a deal where you have to kind of keep the music evenly paced the whole time. Yeah. So a, a lot of the soundtrack is like that. A lot of this is very, like, it takes place in Louisiana, so it's very southern tinge. It's got kind of a bayou feel. Mm -hmm. There are some other tracks that have more of, like, an electronic or hip-hop feel kind of mixed with a lot of that southern guitar. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of variety in this soundtrack. They even, like, made up fictional bands right. for the soundtrack with mm -hmm. vocals and stuff. So they did a lot of really good audio work on this on this Sim game. Similar to Wet, very similar yeah, to, yeah, to that Yeah, very similar. Uh, with vibe. a lot of characters, they, yep. even some of the characters like have kind of like lyrics that they sing during their theme songs. So if you haven't played this game and you can stomach you know, a lot of gore and a lot of swearing. Right. Uh, definitely check this one out. If you're, if you're a fan of Robert Rodriguez films or Quentin Tarantino exactly. films, you're going to absolutely love this game. Mm -hmm. uh, and you could probably pick it up pretty cheap nowadays, too. I don't see it being too expensive. Uh, yeah, I think so. I don't know that much about the extended cut for the PS3. Uh, it's probably still on PSN if you want to download it on there. Yeah. yeah, but I think it's just more levels that they added Yeah, on. and higher resolution graphics right, and such. Right, right, yeah. Know. If you can play it on a system, I'd recommend the Wii just because the controls are really meant for it, you know? Well, yeah, you'd need the PlayStation Move controllers if you wanted to play it on the PS3 the way it's meant to be played. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Anyhow, so, the audio was by Pit Stop Productions, and they are an outfit based in the UK. They have done tons and tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of games. Music, sound design, sound support, vocal talent, voiceover production. Birthday parties. Uh, localization. <laughs> yeah. And they do pony rides, too. Yes. Um, <laughs> but stuff like PS Vita Pets, Virtual Boxing, Invisimals, they did the entire Invisimals series, um, Magic the Gathering, NFL Quarterback 13, Xbox Fitness, Binary Domain, Circus Atari, the, the re-release. Binary Domain is a great game. Yeah, it's a great Very game. Very underrated 360 game. Yep. I think it came out for the PS3 as well. And so they just have done a lot of stuff. Um, John Sanderson and Nadim Daya were credited for this. They weren't credited in the actual game. From what I understand, it was just credited to Pit Stop, Pit Stop Productions. Right. Uh, so I actually reached out to them to find out who the composers were. And uh, it was funny, John Sanderson himself actually answered my email and said, yeah, I was actually the composer on it. So uh, I asked him a couple questions in kind of an interview format, which he said he'd love to answer. He hasn't gotten back to me yet, unfortunately. So if he does, then we will definitely post the text transcript of that, mm -hmm. that interview. I asked a lot of questions about, you know, um, yeah. whether Pit Stop Productions came up with the idea for this game or whether Sega did, mm -hmm. um, you know, how, how the game kind of developed and what their role was in, you know, developing this game because the audio is such a big part of it. So yeah, definitely a recommended play from both of us. Check it out. One of my favorite target shooting games of all time. Yes. Great game. Well, moving on from games that sound like they were composed by Tim Fallon to an actual Tim Fallon composed soundtrack. <laughs> this is Missile Ground Zero. This game came out in 1989 for the ZX Spectrum. The track is title music and it's by Lord Tim Fallon. <laughs>
right, welcome back. That was a nice little ditty from Tim Fallon. The track was Title Music, and that was Missile Ground Zero, the game. Came out in 1989 on the ZX Spectrum. This is such a groovy little track. I like the da-da-da-da-da-da-da. It's got that 70s prog rock sound that Tim yeah. Fallon loves to use in his tracks, and I really? figured you'd... You dig this one? Yeah, really <laughs> chuggy use of that of that AY chip there. Uh, I do enjoy that that riff. And then the soloing part is where it really kind of takes off for me. And that end is like adorable. Like a stray cat kind of a yes. kind of a deal to Rockabilly. it. Rockabilly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I listened to this while I was researching music for the Tim Fallon episode we did way back in episode 69. Ah. I guess I was I was Looking at the others at Expectation Music he did, and a lot of it was like the, the beeper music and some of the sure. AY stuff that had the beeper music along with it was much more textured than this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So in comparison, this sounded very simple, and I guess it wasn't really representative of what he did on the ZX Spectrum, which mm-hmm. is kind of why I passed over it. Right. But right. listening to it on its own, yeah, it's definitely a really cool track. Yeah, I just love the groove behind it, and it, to me, it has a deeper, kind of like richer vibe to it and richer tone to it uh, than the beeper tracks that we played on the Tim Fallon episode. I mean, not to take away from those, those were great, but I feel like this one was a little meatier sound. Well, yeah, I mean, the beeper stuff is like, you know, you're listening to it on a ham radio right, and it's broadcasting right. from halfway across the world. Sure. It's just, it's got that, that, <laughs> that super, super thick fuzz that they, mm-hmm. they kind of needed to emulate those those different channels that they wanted to with the beeper. Yeah. Um, but I, I feel like this is something that Fallon probably composed in the span of like, you know, three hours just <laughs> hanging out at home. He's like, oh, I got this music to do, and he just kind of comes up with this and it ends up being gold you know right, better than a lot of the stuff that was out there at the time absolutely um, but it, yeah it's not as like you know obviously complex as some of the stuff he worked on on the Super Nintendo Spider-Man mm-hmm. X-Men etc so Missile Ground Zero is a basically Missile Command style game so you have four bases at the bottom of the screen and you've got these things that are just coming down tw- twisting turning shapes is basically it. There's UFOs this, like, dropping missiles. There's this like super fast like yellow asteroid type thing that comes crashing down really fast. But otherwise, it's pretty much missile command but with a light gun. So the light gun that you use on this system is the Magnum Light Phaser, and it was created in 1987 for the ZX Spectrum computer. They also did come out with a version of it for the Commodore 64 and 128. It was Amstrad's last peripheral for the game console. So the Magnum Light Phaser is very similar to the Light Phaser for the Master System. So it even physically looks very similar similar to it. Yeah, indistinguishable. Oh, absolutely. And that was released in 86, and we'll talk about that one a little bit later too. And it had a pack-in title or promotional title called James Bond 007 Action Pack. And uh, there were a number of games that were produced for it not that it many like six of them or there were about like five yeah, yeah there were five that were created by software creations specifically which probably explains why tim fallon was involved of course. because you know he was an employee there right that's correct so not much to say about this one i mean it's a great little track and the game is just kind of a game i was just <laughs> surprised to learn that the zx spectrum had a light gun i didn't, I even didn't know, know either yeah, yeah. so no that's clue. probably news to a lot of our listeners as well which is really cool yeah you learn something every day you're welcome Internet. Pixel tuners. <laughs> what do you got next for us? Uh, next up is a slightly more modern take on the whole target shooting game. This is Time Crisis 3. This came out on the arcade and was later ported to the PS2 in 2003. This is Rescue Stage 2 from Takeshi Miura, Sane Kasehara, Kaoru Okada, and Takuya Yokota. 
And we're back. That was Rescue Theme 2 from Time Crisis 3. Came out on the arcade and the PS2 in 2003. Composed by Takeshi Miura, Sene Kasahara, Kaoru Okada, and Takuya Yakota. And this was published by Namco, but developed by Nextech. Uh, this one, you know, t- the Time Crisis series is like... One of those series of games where if you've played one... You played them all. You, well, you pretty much know how to play them all. You mm. know, they all have different plot points and characters, but a, a lot of it is just so Filler. generic, in my opinion, mm-hmm. that it's just, it's really just there for the action. You I'm know? with you. I'm with you on that. Yeah, Time Crisis always felt very hollow in terms of story and characters, very similar to Virtual Cop. Yeah. I mean, I just feel like those games, that era, when those games were coming out, it, it was not... There was no big focus on that. It was a bigger focus on going from screen to screen or going from place to place and shooting stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, this one had that gimmick with the foot pedal where uh, if you press the foot pedal, you would hide behind mm-hmm. whatever is in front of you, a block or a tree or whatever. And these are meant to be done when, you know, enemies are spraying large amounts of bullets at you and you'll actually get notifications on the screen that you should duck and when you can rise up and you can reload while you're ducking, etc. Mm-hmm. So it added a little bit more of that strategy, which I was talking about at the beginning of the show, Strategery. to this game. Strategery. <laughs> and so, you know, it was obviously very popular because the first game came out with the gun cons for the PlayStation, right. the original PlayStation. And those sold like hotcakes. I mean, those guns were really cool. Uh, the game played really well. It had those little buttons on the side that you could press instead of pressing down the, the foot pedal, etc. So they ended up making lots of sequels to it. I think Time Crisis 4 was the last one in the series. I believe so, yeah. yeah. But as far as the music goes, you know... I had a lot of trouble picking music for this show because I feel like a lot of these songs sound really awesome when you're playing. playing. Yes. And then a lot of them, like, aside from, like, House of the Dead and, like, obviously any Tim Fallon track that's out there, Mm -hmm. when you listen to them by themselves, they don't seem to have as much impact because you're not ducking around corners and shooting things in real life while you're, Mm -hmm. you know, listening to them. So I was... I'm curious as to how they're going to hold up in the podcast once I put the whole podcast together and we listen <laughs> through them together, you know? Right, right. So I'm kind of like, you know, hoping that a lot of these songs do hold up. And listening to this one, I feel like this is one of the stronger ones on the Time Crisis 3 soundtrack because a lot of the other ones are very just high energy, one tone, uh, go, go, go kind of a style music. That's how a lot of the Time Crisis games Yeah, are. exactly. It's how the soundtracks go. And then this one is from one of the rescue missions, which I think is one of the bonus stages from the PS2 game. Um, they're a little bit slower paced. They're more, uh, like you said, strategically oriented. <laughs> uh, it's got this really nice heavy kind of beat with these very bass piano tones and a lot of these nice little plinky melodies that really almost feel like they don't belong in a target shooting game. Yeah. I mean, this would go great with the Hollywood blockbuster movie. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of the music that we picked for these later games really fit that motif. Yeah. The GunCon controller called the G-Con 45 in Europe the very first gun con, so not this one that was for Time Crisis 3. The very first Time Crisis used the gun con controller, which used cathode ray timing to determine like where you're moving the barrel. Yeah, as you far would as like where it's aimed. Plug and then, the yellow video cable into the right, gun itself. Which was different than older light guns, which basically was plug and play. You would plug it into the controller port, uh, like the light gun on the NES, yep. and you just point it at the screen wherever it is. The GunCon 2, which I believe is the one that Time Crisis 3 uses, Time yes. Crisis 2. Uh, and then there was another GunCon that was released called the GunCon 3. That was for PlayStation 3. 
and the GunCon 3 uses two infrared LEDs. I didn't even know that existed. Yes. And uh, so it basically places uh, the LED markers on on the left side and the right side of the screen, and an image sensor. So they're using uh, Wii technology, basically. Yeah, yeah. pretty, pr very similar. That uses infrared as well. Um, it's basically using these muzzle tracks for like markers. Yep. As references, and then depending on where the gun is pointing, the the trackers move. Maybe so. that was never released in the U.S. because I feel like I would have known about that. Well, the GunCon One and Two, which are compatible with CRTs, but the GunCon Three is compatible actually with LCD and plasma. Right, because so of the RF. It also has RF. a sub grip, which is really cool. So it's like underneath, there's like a weird like it looks like a controller like stuck underneath the gun mm. it's really weird um, but that adds like additional buttons that you can use for support so Neat. it's pretty cool cool I'll check that out uh, a little bit about the composers there's uh four of them that worked on this game takeshi miura started at data east working alongside uh, like the bad dude Sh shogo sakai the bad uh, masaki iwasaki yuji suzuki and then joined capcom around the year 2000 to work on resident evil code veronica after that went over to namco uh, actually next tech uh, to work on Time Crisis, and so he worked on Time Crisis 3 and Time Crisis 4, and then went back to Capcom again to work on the Resident Evil series. So he did Darkseid Chronicles, which we'll be hearing from in a little while, right. and Revelations. Sanai Kasahara, she was a composer and arranger in 1994 on Mercurius Pretty, which was like a Princess Maker-style game without the RPG elements mm. um, from NEC Avenue. After that, she joined Messiah, the development company, and was a sound operator on Der Langris, or I think sound operator just means like performer, right. something like that. Okay. And a composer on a few of the Cho and Igi games while she was there. Uh, her last game with Messiah was in 1997, Kaizo Chojin Man Zero. That, I think, is the Super NES Satellaview game. Third party picked it up and released it as part of like a new Super NES or Super Famicom game. Huh, so really cool. Yeah. I'll have to check that one out too. Mm -hmm. She also uh, co-composed Resident Evil Veronica with Takeshi Miura and uh, Takuya Yokoto, who we'll talk about in a second, and then followed them back to Namco to work on Time Crisis 3 in 2003. And that was the last credit I could find from her. Keoru Okada, an employee of Nextech, uh, worked there from 2003 to 06. And she worked on Time Crisis 3 and 4, Shining Tears, so jumping over to RPGs, and also Children of Mana uh, was the synthesizer operator on that game. Synthesizer operator. <laughs> I'm the operator of my synthesizer. Pocket synthesizer? Pocket synthesizer. <laughs> Takuya Yokota worked at Bottom Up Interactive in 97 uh, with 64 Ozumo and moved over to Capcom and worked on the Resident Evil Veronica, Code Veronica game. And also Bounty Hunter Sarah, which is like a adventure novel type game that only came out in Japan. Yeah. I think there's an English translation for it. I a fan to, translation? Yeah, I need to check that out. Neat. Uh, which came out for the Dreamcast. And then shortly after that, uh, Takuya joined Next Tech and worked alongside Okada on all of those games that uh, Okada worked for. Yeah, so a lot of those Next Tech employees just kind of like teamed up and all worked on the same games together. I don't think they worked on very many games at the same time, so they just kind of had like one composing team that kind of worked on all their games. Right, right. So anyways, yeah, Time Crisis 3, like I said, I don't know if I'd recommend going out and buying it at this point, especially since you have to buy accessories to go along with it. Yeah. Um, but this track really did, did grip me uh, as far as- It gripped you, know, you? Like a gun con? Like a gun con. In the night? With a shoulder stock. <laughs> Where are you putting that shoulder stock? On my shoulder. Ah. Yeah. Okay. Pork shoulder. <laughs>
Let's move on. Let's jump back in time to the Sega Genesis in 1994. This track is from a game called Body Count. This is stage one, and it's by Steve Colette. That was Body Count on the 1994 Sega Genesis release. The track was Stage 1 by Mr. Steve Colette. And that game uses the Sega Menacer, which we'll talk about in just a second. What do you think of the track? Uh, I thought it felt like something out of Doom. I was going to say, because it's got that farty kind of adamantium rage sound to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very similar to that. It, it, there's a possibility it, it was made with gems, I'm thinking. Oh, yeah, maybe? for sure. Yeah, you think I would so? say so. Yeah. So, I don't know. I I like the groove behind it. I don't know. It's got the... And I love the those, like, uh, xylophone-style drums, which we talked a lot about in a previous episode yeah. uh, that we played a track from, uh, like a Genesis track, and it had... You know, very similar type of like xylophone keyboard. Yeah, I, drums. I I felt like the the composition was really good, but mm-hmm. I think probably the sound driver really held. Jim's coming back. That's how it goes. Yeah, uh, I, I I remember. I think we talked about him when we did the Incredible Hulk game a while back. He was also known as Steve Rocket. Did yeah. yeah. I mean, he's done a lot of stuff. I mean, going back to his first game, Trivial Pursuit, where he's labeled as sampling of questions. Not really sure about that, but... Uh, Interesting. He did the loading music on Rubicon in 92, Chuck Rock, Wolfchild. So it sounds like he was working very like familiar with a lot of other composers. He did a lot of conversions. Yeah. Most of the games he worked on, like as he was getting into composing, were ports yep. from other systems. He uh, kind of made a name for himself doing that. He worked on a lot of stuff that like Matt Furniswalk worked on yep. as far as... like. Uh, like Alien 3, he did, I believe, the Super NES version of the soundtrack. Yeah, yeah. Stargate on Super NES, Jelly Boy, Incredible Hulk, which you mentioned, Disney's Beauty and the Beast, he did sound effects. Uh, jumping ahead, Mary Kate Nashley get a clue in 2000. Highlight of his career, I'm sure. Better get a clue on that one. Street Fighter Alpha 3 in 2002, uh, he did sound on that. And uh, his last game, I mean, I'm jumping ahead, he's done a ton of stuff. But uh, his last game is CSR Classics in 2014, where he's labeled as audio. So he's done quite a bit. But Body Count, I don't know, it's, it's just screams in the 90s. I mean, first off, uh, <laughs> as we said, it uses the Menacer. It also uses the Mega Mouse. 
Oh, you can Which use is, either one? Yeah, you can That's use neat. either one. Uh, so this game was actually released on the Sega channel. I don't believe that it came out in the States. Oh, okay. That That's explains why. why I've never heard of it. Yeah, it came out in Europe in 94. Okay. So it was developed by Probe Software, which we talked a lot about when we were talking about uh, core, core yes, design. Yes, yes. Body count, I don't know. It looks like the 90s just threw up on the Genesis. <laughs> You've got mercenary type of dude that you're playing as. I don't believe that you get introduced to who he is or why he's doing anything that he does. But you start There are monsters and he needs to kill them. That's basically the plot. Exactly it. So you start off in the game and uh, you're fighting these guys that look like a combination between Zen the Intergalactic Ninja and they jump around like putties. Okay. From the Power Rangers. Right. And then as you go through the game, there's like robots, like giant mech robots that you gotta shoot. There's other like doom looking kind of aliens, like uh, they kinda look like the demons from Doom, the the big giant pink demons. The imps. You know? The imp no, not the imps, the not the brown guys. But they look like the the big That's with the pink, horns. Yeah. Yeah, the pink demons. Those yeah. aren't the imps though. I forget what they're called. I don't know. They're called demons. Sure. Demon dudes. Go with that. Yeah. So that's kind of what you're doing. It reminded me a lot in terms of like the visual aesthetic and everything of super bright, cheery, like comic book style in terms of the visuals. Like everything is like, you know, a giant green, you know, globule or, you know, like that's kind of what it reminded me of visually. So they are actually called demons. Or, they are called demons. Or pinky, depending on... Pinky. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, there you go. So um, I wasn't wrong. Thanks, Internet. <laughs> so the Menacer is basically the Sega Genesis answer to the Super NES's Super Scope, which we'll talk about in a bit. Sega producer Mac Senor, or Senor, was responsible for the Menacer game. He also was the creator of the six-game pack, that game oh, yeah. that came with like six games. Very yep. similar to the Super Scope six-game yep. thing. I never actually held a Menacer. Never had one. It's smaller. It's smaller, and it's meant to be held on your shoulders. Yeah, it's kind of a weird-looking device. It's weird-looking. It's like the front of a Super Scope got smashed onto, like, the back of a lawn chair or something. Right, (laughs) right. Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, it didn't last. It was considered a flop. Like, it didn't do well. It did even worse than the Super Scope did. There really weren't that many games that came out for it. The list of compatible games is literally the Menacer 6 game cartridge, the Terminator 2 game that came out, Mad Dog McCree, Body Count, Who Shot Johnny Rock, Mad Dog 2, The Lost Gold. Oh, God, no wonder it friggin' yeah. failed. Corpse Killer and Crime Patrol, that's it. Those are the Jeez, only games that it was all compatible They're like FM with. video games. Well, you kind of feel like Sega abandoned it because Konami was taken over with the Justifiers. Shh, so. Back when Konami could do things right. Yeah, that's right. Just proves that Sega always did things wrong. Oh, oh. what? Snap! Nintendo fanboy coming at you for like a split second. Yeah. And then no. I'm jumping back with my all, all everything's neutral. Great. Everything's neutral. Everything's great. <laughs> like a 10 year old Mike popped out and was like, hey, by the way, Nintendo's the best. Bye. <laughs> that's what happened just now. I give up. You're welcome. God. So that's body count. Not much to say. Pretty decent track, though. Yeah. What do you got for us? Next up is a game that I wasn't even aware existed until very recently Virtua Cop. I did not know that existed. Yes. Learning a lot today. This came out in 2003 in the arcade. This is Hard Mission Section 1, Sewers, by a whole host of composers. Sachio Ogawa, Seiichi Hamada, Hideaki Miyamoto, Shinichi Goto, Yasuhiro Takagi, and Tatsutoshi Narita. Bless you. Yeah.
And we're back. That was Hard Mission Section 1, Sewers, from Virtua Cop 3, released in the arcade only in 2003, composed by Sachio Ogawa, Seiichi Hamada, Hideaki Miyamoto, Shinichi Goto, Yasuhiro Takagi, and Tatsutoshi Narita. Very good. Yes. Excellent job. I really like this track. I like that they used that kind of like uh, heavy drum beat from uh, that Led Zeppelin beat from One of the Levy Breaks. And they kind of remix that into this kind of uh, dance beat with the sweeping violins. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is one of those tracks that I was talking about earlier where it's like, it sounds really good when you're playing the game. Yeah. And it doesn't really go anywhere. It just kind of like is a... It's meant for background music, This is, uh, but I really like the texture behind it. This is listening to a movie soundtrack, but for a game. And when you do that separately from the game, it just doesn't... Not that it doesn't feel right, but it just doesn't... It, it's not meant to sound like video game music. It's meant to sound yeah. like environmental, like something is right. about to go down. And this is what's happening. It's good so. music to play like while you're cleaning the house, there you or go. maybe studying, or yes. doing something else. Or but cleaning not, like, the house while you're studying. Right. Or studying while you're cleaning the house. Or studying how to clean houses. Ooh, there you go. Yes. There you go. Or like this is the sort of music that you would hear right before you go on a mission, like going to the grocery store. Yeah. Yeah. You're going out to rent a video. Yeah. In Who rents videos, right? <laughs> what? <laughs> going to the red box. Oh, yeah. So the game's fun? The game is fun. I mean, I haven't played it. Mm -hmm. I watched a full playthrough on YouTube because I did find it fun to even watch. Okay. Uh, very good graphics. Obviously updated from Virtua Cop oh, Virtua Cop 2. definitely. You know, you play as members of the same task force, and there are these generic bad guys. You know, along that lines, it's very similar to Time Crisis, right. where there's just, like, bad guy of the day. But the cool part is it, it does have a floor pedal similar to Time Crisis, but it doesn't hide you behind objects. It, it slows down time. Uh, ah. and you have a bar across the bottom of the screen that shows you how much of this time slowy goodness you, you have on you. Slowy goodness. Yeah, so, you know, when a whole bunch of enemies pop up and if you're feeling overwhelmed, you can hit that button mm. and then things slow. You can actually see, like, they, they make the bullets, like, they look like real, like, modeled bullets coming mm -hmm. at your face. That's cool. So you can actually shoot them out of the air um, as they're shooting you, which is really cool. It's a really nice effect. I don't need a pedal to do that. Uh, you just go just around shooting bullets, bullets in the down. face. Neo style. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know. Yeah, I know. Uh, and then there's other other kind of quick time events where bad guys will like shoot up at a chandelier that's over your head, and the chandelier will start to fall, and you can slow down time and then shoot out, you know, right. different parts of the chandelier. So a lot of cool stuff like that. Uh, the music is fun. Uh, like I said, it's kind of like this is this is a little more on the meaty side, I guess. A lot of it's very kind of lighthearted, uh, generic style techno stuff that you you know you find in most of these kind of games. Sure. But, uh, the game runs on the Chihiro board. And it is kind of similar to, like, Sega's Naomi board, right. which was essentially kind of like a little bit of a beefed-up Dreamcast. Yeah. The Chihiro board is a beefed-up Xbox, original Xbox. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Uh, literally, it, it actually is an Xbox. It just has 128 megabytes of RAM instead of the 64 megabytes of RAM that mm. uh, regular Xbox does. And what you can actually do, if you can find an image of the arcade game, is if you solder in an extra 64 megabytes of RAM into your personal Xbox, you mm. can actually play these games oh, cool. on your Xbox. Huh. Uh, so that was the the playthrough that I saw with somebody actually playing it on a home console, you know, just hooked up to a, a, a game capture card, which is really neat and something that I would like to do someday. Do um, it. I heard the soldering is really hard, though, but there's a lot of really cool games out there for the Chihiro board that never actually made it out to the home market. Which... Hard to play with hot metal. 
Yes. Yeah. Soldering. Mm. Goopy, hot globs everywhere. Goodness. Yeah. Um, Got to get so, familiar with that hot goopy metal goodness. You're milking it. If you want to, if you want to shoot dudes in the face. Yeah. Spray your dudes. Gross. Virtuous spray. <laughs> Virtuous spray. Um, so yeah, I mean, unfortunately, it's like this game that was in the same series as like two of the most famous light gun games ever, Virtua Cop 1 and Virtua Cop 2. Mm. You know, Virtua Cop 3 is... is I never a, even heard of as it. As obscure as they come. Yeah. I don't even know if it got released in the U.S. If it did, it's probably just in those arcades. You know, came out in 2003 after arcades were kind of dead. already dead. Yeah. So if they did exist in the U.S., it was just someplace that I've never been to. The music is rockin', but like I said, it's not really stuff you can like just throw in the car and listen to on your own. Agreed. Yeah, so let's... Let's dive into all these composers. What do we, we got? Do, sh- do a little bit on each. Sachio Ogawa, we kind of already talked about him way back in episode 27. He composed the music to the Hybrid Front, one of those yes. really awesome Genesis strategy yes. soundtrack. Um, mostly games in the Sonic universe, so like Sonic Adventure uh, and a bunch of the Sonic games that came out after the Genesis. So I'm not going to go too too deep into that. Seiichi Hamada was a member of Game Adelic when he was with Data East and then the Sega Sound Team. He worked mainly on AM2 games. Uh, he's also known by Ato Titiyama, Atomic Hanada, Daiichi Ace Hasemi, or uh, Seiichi Atomic Hamada. Main, mainly his games are credited under Atomic. Uh, and he's done games like Night Slashers, Skull Fang, uh, and Virtua Fighter 4. So he's got a lot of really cool Neato. games under his belt. Uh, he's also a bassist when he does uh, live shows with the Sega Sound Team. Cool. Hideaki Miyamoto. Also, Sega AM2. Started off with uh, Burning Rival back in 1992. Uh, worked on Virtua Cop 2, uh, Shenmue, Shenmue 2, Virtua Cop 3, of course, we just played that one. Vampire Reign, the Yakuza series. Yakuza 3, Yakuza 4, Yakuza Dead Souls, Yakuza 5, Yakuza 0. So, you know, I think that's pretty much where they built their their name, is working on the, on the Yakuza games. What about Definitely. the other ones? Shinichi Goto worked on a lot of Hatsune Miku games, starting in 2013 with Project Diva F, ending with 2017, the Project Diva Future Tone. So he's still in the business today. Uh, Started off, though, with Shenmue 2 way back in 2001, was the 5.1 channel sound editor for that game. Fancy. Yeah. And then Beach Bikers, which is that GameCube and arcade title. Right. uh, Did sound on that. Virtual Fighter 4 and Evolution as well. Virtual Cop 3, which we're talking about right now, King of Root 66, and Virtual Quest, Virtual Fighter 5, and Sonic and Sega All-Stars Racing. Virtual Quest? Yeah. Huh. Virtual Crest. I almost said Crest. Virtual Crest? Virtual Crest. No. Yasuhiro Takagi worked on, you know, just more Sega stuff. Started off in 1989 with Sword of Vermilion, uh, Virtual Racing in 92, Burning Rival in 92, Shenmue in 99, uh, jumped over to Shenmue 2 in 2001, and you know a couple of the other games that we just talked about, Outrun 2006, Coast to Coast, which is a great soundtrack, Let's Go Jungle Lost on the Island of Spice, remember we talked about that game, that's the arcade game where you get in the fake Jeep. Oh yeah, Physically like the rail the, shooter yep, kind of, yep, yep, yep. Yakuza 4, and then Afterburner Climax was his final game in 2010, he did sound creation. Final composer is Tatsutoshi Narita. Uh, really only worked on the Hatsune Miku games as well. All the ones that we talked about before. Yeah. Uh, pretty much did everything that we talked about before. Starting off as a recording producer, however, back in the Saturn days for Clockwork Night 
in 94, huh. you did Clockwork Night 2 in 95, A Stall, Victory Gold 96, Rig Lord Saga so 2. A lot of Saturn games. A lot of that Saturn stuff. Christmas Nights in the Dreams. I mean, tons yeah. and tons of stuff like that. A lot of overlap with these composers. He also did a game called Rampo. Not Rambo. Rampo. It's about a uh, commando running up ramps. I figure it's like an elephant named Rampo. And he has like a bandana and he goes around shooting stuff. Like he has dum- a gun like Dumbo in his meets nose. Rambo? Right, right. Okay. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to the PlayStation era PS1. This game came out in 1998. It's called Elemental Gear Bolt. It's a working designs, very pricey title. I'm going to have to spend millions on this one. Yeah, not, not millions, but, you know, $100 bill. The track is called Thunder, and it's by K. Wakakuza. Light gun game is really fun, but I really dislike hunting poor defenseless animals just for sport. I wish there was a way to hunt something else. Well, now there is! Yeah! How did you get in my bathtub? Who cares? I'm here to make all your video game wishes come true. You mean I'll finally get to go on a date with Cloud Strife at the Gold Saucer? No, nothing like that. But how about a brand new game from the makers of Cabela's Big Game Hunter and PETA? Hmm, well, I guess that could be cool. How does it work? First, grab the light gun rifle, then point it at the screen. Now, choose which kind of bear you want to play as. Oh, definitely the polar bear. He's got swagger. Great. Now choose the type of human hunter you want to hunt. Whoa, I get to hunt humans? As a bear? That's right. It's Cabela and PETA's Human Hunter Datathon Bear Edition Game 20XX. Take on all sorts of defenseless hunters while you run amok in forests, caverns, cities, and even circuses. Whoa! Thanks, Cabela and PETA. This is awesome. But what if I want my bear to find true love? Then this is your kind of game. After unlocking the basic levels, take your bear clothes shopping at the local mall. Pick out the best car in the lot and find the cutest bear of your choosing to wine and dine until the sun comes up. Awesome! Coming to a local barcade, PlayStation Quattro, Microsoft Xbox Box X, and Nintendo Lite Switch in 20XX. Bear love for life.
Welcome back. That was Elemental Gear Bolt, the 1998 PlayStation 1 game published in North America by Working Designs. The track is Thunder, and it's by Kei Wakakusa. Just to get this out of the way, Kei Wakakusa only worked on this in Hot Shots Golf 2. Cool. So, that's done. Two very different games, too. Yes, very different. So, this game... Okay, so here's the deal with this game. It's hard. It is very difficult. However, this is essentially... For all those people, like, you know, who are complaining, like, Oh, there's no characters, there's no story in these light gun games. This is the game for yeah, you. Yeah, very true. It has a very in-depth, fully detailed story. I'm not joking. It's, like, super long, super detailed. And there's all these characters that they introduce. I I'll be honest... I have no clue what's going on. <laughs> I mean, the main the main thing is that you're actually just shooting at enemies and killing them. So oh sure, but this has a what I really like about this is it has it, it steps away from that like really kind of stale crime setting. You know that yeah, modern yeah, yeah. urban setting where it's like you know you are a cop against like a million other bad right, dudes. Right, right. It has kind of like a Panzer Dragoon feel yes. to it. Yeah, very like science like sci-fi sort of but sci-fi like fantasy uh, almost so really cool character design and art style in this one the game is a bit pricey it's going for about I think maybe a hundred something a hundred dollars for yeah I mean I, I, I had it I had a complete in box I sold it for 120 or something and this yeah. was like a year ago so yeah yeah it's about what it it's fluctuates worth. yeah but it's it's cool I'm not gonna get in the story like trust me it's it if you like story and you like characters this one's yeah, free. it was developed by Alpha System, They're the same guys who did like the Shikigami no Shiro games. Mm -hmm. And so, if you're familiar with like the story for that, like it's it's the same thing. It's yeah. just it's super in depth. The soundtrack was officially released by First Smile Entertainment uh, back in '98. What's interesting is that the official soundtrack has a 24 and a half minute drama track, which is completely in Japanese, and uh, the score is actually performed by a full orchestra. So yep. all those. All the music that you're hearing here sounds like it's done by a, a full orchestra, because it is. This game will work with the light gun, with the gun con light guns. But interestingly enough, there is a super, super crazy expensive edition of this game that came out. Working Designs did a contest where winners of the contest would win Elemental Gear Bowl Assassin's case and what this comes with is gold-plated gun con light guns yeah it's so crazy. working designs always kind of pandered to the collector crowd and something like this uh, which is super super expensive you do not see these every day so they are very very rare and very collectible for um, sure yeah this track i dig it it's it's good stuff i mean if you like symphonic stuff it's got that really like I like I like the sting of that dun 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 with that and then in the background you have those violins kind of going back and forth. Yeah. What what feels strange to me is that even it's though building. it's a boss track, but it's only like fifty six seconds long and it ends cold. I don't know mm. if it maybe goes into a different segment or have you? But you. I mean, I played this game at ages and ages right. ago, so I don't. Or? I don't remember the soundtrack, especially hmm. symphonic stuff. Since I'm not a fan of it, sure. I'm, I'm not going to go crazy over it. Right, so. right, right. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'd like to like go back and look at some gameplay of this and see how this fits into 
um, the game, how this track fits into the game. And the gameplay is really in depth too, if I recall. I mean, it's it's normal that you're shooting stuff in the light gun game, but there's all this like most light gun games you have to like reload the ammo on your own. Yeah. Um, either by shooting away from the screen or uh, you know maybe pressing a button or whatever on the side of the gun. Elemental Gearbolt doesn't do that. The player characters and their weapons are magical, so instead the game I guess limits how fast type of you shots. can fire. Yeah. Right. And, and you also gain experience points, which kind of grow you as you go through the game, and that's depending on how accurate your shots are. Mm-hmm. So there's a there's a good amount of strategy involved and a good amount of skill you need to... Because if you're not playing well at the beginning, then you're not going to be powerful enough to get past the more powerful enemies at the end of the game. And right. it's going to end up being almost impossible to beat. The shots that you have are the Blaze Phoenix, the Thunder Tiger, and the Water Snake. So they're like animal-themed, elemental... So it's like a super soaker. Guns. So, yeah. Pretty much. Water snake. You're a water snake. That's what my mom calls me. Gross. All right. Let's move on. Let's <laughs> let's go with some more story-driven games. Absolutely. You don't get much more story than this. This one is the Epileptic Express C from Resident Evil, The Umbrella Chronicles. This came out on the Wii in 2007, and again, got remastered on the PS3. It's like a tradition for these games. <laughs> uh, this one's composed by a pair of my favorite composers of all time, Masafumi Takata and Jun Fukuda.
we're back, that was the Epileptic Express Part C from Resident Evil The Umbrella Chronicles. Came out on the Wii in 2007, composed by Masafumi Takada and Jun Fukuda. Not to poo-poo on your track. Oh, I love this track. But I'm noticing a pattern with you and light gun games. So here's the deal. So Ed picked a lot of newer stuff. Yeah. And I picked a lot of older. Well, I picked a lot of like different stuff. I tried to like kind of inject a lot of variety because I noticed you were picking a lot of like these tracks that are like really good songs in the game. But again, this is one of those ones that... I don't know. I'm not feeling the vibe. Oh, I as can much. listen to this one by itself all damn day. No, I love really? that baseline. No, that super fuzzy lead. I mean, this is more of an industrial style track that sure. I really, really like. And and I know you're not a big fan of the genre. Mm -hmm. uh, anything that that like I really like this track before I even knew who the composers were. Okay. And I was actually surprised to and then find you were like, out. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, I was like, no wonder I like it. Right. Because these two dudes worked on it. I love this entire soundtrack there's so much good stuff I, it was really hard for me to pick so a lot of the stuff sounds like this or not so much no. i mean there's a lot more atmospheric this one takes place resident evil 0 mm -hmm. resident evil 1 and then resident evil 3 okay and then there's a there's a secret or like a special mission at the end which is like takes place in like Russia or something has to do with Hong. Hmm. I forget what it was, but okay. it was like a side story that didn't appear in the actual, you know, Resident Evil universe. Okay. But but speaking of which, this one and Dark Side Chronicles, Umbrella Chronicles and Dark Side Chronicles, sure. both are kind of retellings of all of the main Resident Evil right. storylines. The first four, at yeah. least, or the well, one, two, three, which is Nemesis, four, which is Code Veronica, and then well, no, sorry. Four is zero, not Code Veronica. Zero, one, and three are the first one. Zero, one, and three, and then the Dark Side Chronicles, which we'll talk about after this, is two and Code Veronica. Right. Right. So yeah, most of the major parts uh, before it went on to the, mm -hmm. the PS3 generation, but they're all done in first-person, mm -hmm. light gun style games, and they have a whole lot of depth to them as well because right. you can get different weapon power-ups, you can collect items, mm -hmm. you can bring different items with you. you These know, are really loadouts. fun games. They're f great games. Yeah. And the graphics are fantastic. Yes. The music and the voice acting is fantastic. Mm -hmm. Like They really went all out with these games. Yeah. Uh, they got great reviews when they came out. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I've, I've had nothing but fun playing them. Yeah, I haven't uh, played through them, but I started the first one with uh, a friend and we were just hanging out playing. Yeah. Uh, we wanted to play something that was co-op and we started off with uh, actually House of the Dead Overkill. Mm -hmm. And then we were like, oh, what else have we got? So we have Resident Evil Umbrella Chronicles. We started that and had a lot of fun with it. It's, it's difficult too. They're they're pretty difficult. Oh, for games. sure. Yeah. yeah, you really have to start memorizing the patterns and mm -hmm. stuff. I mean, I've owned them forever, so I, I I think I was playing with my brother at first, and since we're both pretty good at that stuff, like mm -hmm. we, we ended up getting through. I think Umbrella Chronicles is a lot easier than Dark Side. Yeah, uh, Dark Side gets a little crazy after a while. Right, but, uh, right. But again, you know, you you find out it's a good like. Cliff's Notes version of the Resident Evil series. Mm -hmm. If you want to kind of like play an interactive way to get through all the storylines, sure. Uh, and you want to start maybe playing like you know Resident Evil Five and Six, oh, the full games. These the are great games to, to kind of catch you up on the storyline mm -hmm. if you don't want to play through the original games. I will say that this track kind of felt like something I would hear out of like Capcom versus SNK. Like it has a real, <laughs> which I love groove. and you hate. So I guess right. that makes sense. It's got a real groove to it. Yeah. A really like a fleshed out groove that that it's it's not bad. I do like this a lot more than the Capcom versus SNK tracks, mm -hmm. but it still feels like something that you would just kind of throw on in the background as kind of like 
you know, like movie soundtrack type stuff that shouldn't be in. It doesn't well, sound again, video gamey to me. Yeah, the the way that the game works is usually there's three parts per stage. Okay. So like with Resident Evil Zero, you know, first you're exploring the train and there's right. a few enemies here and there. And the music is very slow and kind of uh, ambient. Mm -hmm. And then it picks up a little bit during section two. You know, you, you, you get to a, a, an area and you can kind of rest for a little bit, kind of like the typewriter rooms. Okay. Uh, uh, where you can build up your strength again. So, you know, each time the music gets a little more pumped up. Mm -hmm. So this would be the third section of that that level right before you get to the boss. So this, okay. of course, would be where the music was a little higher. It's And it's a riff on the previous two songs that come before it. So I guess if you hear those first two songs, you might okay. appreciate this a little bit more because you, you hear the buildup between mm -hmm. them all. Mm -hmm. But I, I thought that bass groove was just the best. So I kind of threw this in just... You know, I, I, there was really wasn't any easy way to like make a medley of all three tracks sure. together. So, yeah. But I, I think if you went through and listened to the rest of the soundtrack, you'd find a lot of pieces that you like because there's a lot of variety. Yeah, there's a lot of variety, um, right? And some more story and oriented stuff, and some more like regular song type stuff, I guess you could say. <laughs> you know, like cinematic type stuff. Sure. So, uh, worth checking out. Um, June Fukuda and Masafumi Takata. Yeah, Masafumi Takata, uh, Grasshopper Manufacturer guys. Right. So. Uh, Silver Case, No More Heroes, Killer7, mm -hmm. uh, all those games that Suda51 worked on. And that's how I became a big fan of them. They have a very, like, you know, like I said, techno, industrial, kind of off-kilter electronic style that I really enjoy. Which is interesting because they went in a totally different direction for Darkside Chronicles. So they did. And that's our next game. So let's jump right into it. Resident Evil Darkside Chronicles for 2009's Wii release. It also later on came out on the PS3. This is Theme of Alexia Type 1. And this is by Shusaku Uchiyama, Takeshi Miura, and Yoshihisa Hirano. He's the orchestrator.
Welcome back. Gonna shatter some crystal with that one. Holy cow. <laughs> that was Resident Evil Dark Side Chronicles 2009's release on the Wii and then later on the PS3. That was Theme of Alexia Type 1 by Shusaku Uchiyama, Takeshi Miura, and Yoshihisa Hirano. He was the orchestrator in that one. That is that is just so bombastic and booming. I mean, we talked a lot about on the last episode bombastic uh, orchestra, orchestral sounding type of music, and this I feel like is old school music brought to like a more modern s- style. Like this is something that could have been in like a contra game. I feel like like a boss battle, um, but obviously done with a full orchestra. Sounds just amazing. Really awesome vocals. We I couldn't find out who did the vocals specifically, but I just think this track is great. It's it's got a lot of energy, and the only thing I, I kind of dislike about it is that that triangle in the background is just so loud, and it's just kind of like buzzing in my ear. So I just <laughs> it sounds like a dinner bell because they just keep going. And going and going, and I'm like, all right, dude, all right, we get it. You're the triangle player, chill. Yeah, I don't know. I, I would I would be overwhelmed, I think, listening to this track while playing. Oh, well, that's the thing is it's just, it this, okay, so this part in the game when you're playing, this is, I believe, more towards the end of Code Veronica, and uh, you're fighting Alexia after she's kind of changed into this, you know, mutated right, zombie right. thing. Yeah. And... So I, I kind of feel like this should have been Type Two, not Type One, because I believe that the Type Two track is a lot is a little bit more subdued. Oh, okay. Which is weird because you would think that this would be like the final bombastic battle. Well, I think if I remember correctly, Type Two is is more like sneaky, like mm-hmm. you like she's like very very aggressive in Type One. So she's like popping out like maybe in, in, in Type okay. Two, like she runs away and then right. you've got to chase her. Okay. And so it's more like a stealthy, so kind that of makes a, sense. Yeah. Yeah. Suspenseful kind of a battle. So this is uh, meant to be kind of like very similar to in Mega Man X when you're fighting Sigma for the first time. You've got that like crazy epic guitar, you know, speed metal track, and then you you are facing him again for the second time, and it's a lot slower, a lot more like. You know, you've got the platforms that are coming down. You're jumping onto the platforms, and you got to wait for them to rise up, and you got to shoot Sigma and jump off. So it's very similar, and that's just kind of is a great. It's a great example of smart sound design in a game, because if you've got like, you know, moments that are really, really crazy energetic, but like nothing's happening. Yeah. You're like, eh, why? Like, yeah. why is this happening? You know, and these games are a great example of how sound design can totally change the feel of a game, mm-hmm. too, because, you know, Umbrella Chronicles and Dark Side Chronicles were both made by the same teams, sure. uh, just with different composers and different music styles. And because of those different music styles, you know, the, the gameplay feels very different. The ambiance feels very different. Right. You know, your skills will still get you through both games if they're good, um, but you're going to feel like you've played a very different game, even though they're in the same universe. So, right. Uh, it's fun to kind of like experiment and, and, you know, feel out which kind you like better. So, Shusaku Uchiyama worked on a lot of Resident Evil. I mean, was with it pretty much since the beginning. Uh, was the composer on Mega Man 8, and then jumped over to Resident Evil 2, and then was the lead composer and arranger on the re- Resident Evil remake for the GameCube. He was the zombie in the living room in the first, in the first uh, game. Yeah. yeah. Oh, of course. 
No, that was him. <laughs> uh, then jumped on the Piano 3, which is a very underrated title with a really cool soundtrack. Uh, then Under the Skin in 2004. And then back on Resident Evil for Resident Evil 4. Resident Evil Director's Cut in t- 2006. Devil May Cry 4. And then Resident Evil Darkseid Chronicles and Mega Man 10. He composed a couple tracks on that. Yep. And then back to Resident Evil with Operation Raccoon City and Res- Resident Evil 4 Ultimate HD Edition. Yep. So that is him. What about Takeshi? Well, Takeshi uh, Miura we just talked about on Time Crisis 3. Right. So we don't need to go into him anymore. Right. And then... Yoshihisa Harano worked on Gun Griffin in 1996, pretty much just working on the CG, uh, like the opening and the ending tracks. Then did uh, video... He mostly has done video cinematics for Shining Force 3, Final Fantasy 7, uh, and Makin X, or Makin X. Uh, For audio purposes, he's orchestrated for Dirge of Cerebus Final Fantasy 7, so back on again with Final Fantasy 7. Resident Evil, The Dark Side Chronicles, and Final Fantasy thirteen in 2009. Very cool. Yes. So, yeah. Both those games are great. Both those games have their kind of unique soundtracks that kind of, you know, are different in a lot of ways and similar in others. But uh, these are two very different tracks from a different set of composers. So definitely worth checking out. These games are a lot of fun. Absolutely. All right. So what you got next for us? Next up is a little Super Nintendo game called Bazooka Blitzkrieg. I think it's my only retro game I've picked for the show. Yes. This came out on the Super Nintendo in 1992. The track is called Hunting for Robots, composed by Uchu Jin. back that was hunting for robots from the 1992 super nintendo game bazooka blitzkrieg written by uchujin it's basically an alias we don't know their real name uchujin means alien in japanese yes. so that's all the information i can dig up on them i really like this track it's it's got this kind of stealthy minimalistic feel uh you were talking about those little sad guitars it's like hey we're guitars <laughs> 
uh, with those nice little like punctuated orchestra hits. I really like those drums. Those bongo oh, drums like, mixed yeah, with like the, bongos. the regular kit. Yeah. Yeah, that was good. I like that. Good percussion. And then that like heroic horn section comes in out of nowhere. And then of course those synth hits. Yeah. And then goes back into the synth hits and then builds up again to, to get into the loop. So it's got a nice structure to it. It's a, a good track for the levels that you're playing. I mean, there isn't too many songs in this soundtrack. It's only like five tracks or whatever. And so this one kind of plays every time you're hunting for robots, which basically means that you're like side-scrolling across the cityscape and robots are jumping out of the sky or popping up behind windows. I don't know why all these robots are infesting this suburban area, but... They're looking you know, for chicken. Your job is to shoot them before they get all the chicken, I guess. <laughs> uh, robot chicken. Robot Chicken, there you there go. There you go. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, it's a fun little game. This is probably the only Super Scope game that I didn't play until very recently, like a week ago recently. Well, this is... Oh, okay. <laughs> this is developed by uh, Bandai and Tose, yeah. so that... Yeah, and Tose is usually pretty good about crediting their their people. So, uh, mm. you know, I asked my buddy Brian to scour the Japanese web to see if he could find out who the composer was. The consensus on, on Japanese boards are that it was probably an intern that, you know, wasn't getting paid or whatever and, you know, wasn't it wasn't part of their career, so... He was the alien. He was the alien, the alienated intern writing for... Truth and Bandai Justice. And Tose. Fun game. Have you played this one before? I have not. I didn't even know this existed. Yeah. So, uh, instead of, like, Battle Clash, where you're shooting, like, bullets into way off into the distance, you kind of have to lead your enemy and such, you have a machine gun in this one, which is a lot nicer. So you can just sure. point at the screen and kind of just... Blast away. Straight fire anywhere you go. Mm -hmm. There's no real penalties for not being accurate or anything like that, so you can pretty much just, you know, let go and and shoot to your heart's content. It's it's fun. It's just, it's very kind of stiff. Uh, it feels like, you know, an earlier SNES game. Which is um, funny because, you know, Battle Class was pretty early too for the Super Scope. Yeah. Well, I mean, early in terms of like Super Nintendo life, oh, you know, okay. like Final Fight era kind of stuff. Right, right. So, you know, it, I can tell not a lot of money was really put into it, but it still remained fun. I only played the first couple levels and kind of got bored of it, but, yeah. you know, the song was cool, so I decided I'd throw it in to kind of represent Super Scope because you, you got Gotta have Super Scope. Gotta have Super Scope. At least one game. The Super Scope, we talked about it a little bit on the Battle Clash Metal Combat episode. A also uses, yeah, a little bit, <laughs> uses cathode ray tube monitors because that's what was around for CRT. Yeah, it scans, it scans the scan line, uh, shoots yep. a, a ray of light at the TV, and the sensor picks it up, and that determines uh, to the game where you have hit your target or not hit your target. So, it, the, I mean, the science behind it's really fascinating because it outputs a zero signal when it sees the television and then a one signal when it doesn't. So it's kind of like, I don't know, like when you aim well, away from the screen. when you shoot, it blanks the screen. So right. all of a sudden it doesn't see the, the television anymore, and then that's when it sends the output signal. It's, it's really cool technology. It's, it's, it's it's very advanced, I would say, and it's it's well done. And I, I mean, even when I mean, if you go back and listen to the Battle Clash and Metal Combat episodes, it, those games are so much fun to play. I mean, regardless of what you think about the music, the games themselves are really great. They're yeah. very, very, very well done. Underrated well gems, together. definitely, absolutely. So I even got complete and bought copies of of them. Like after I played it, like I bought a Super Scope, <laughs> bought those two games. It was just like, this is awesome. Well, I'm glad I imparted that knowledge upon you, at Yeah, least. man. It's good stuff. Yep. 
So really cool. Like like my super scope. Bazooka Blitzkrieg, on the other hand, probably not worth buying in box. Yeah. Maybe loose if you can find it for a couple bucks and you already got a super scope. Maybe check it out. But super scope was better in my opinion than the Menacer. I just oh, think for that sure. technology just, just wise, selection of games too. Yeah, selection of games. Just everything about it was just way better. Yeah, it's a really good way to eat up six batteries at a time. Yes, definitely. <laughs> Make sure to take those batteries out. Let's move. Speaking of batteries, let's talk about a little man named Rambo. Not really little. Assault and battery? Yeah, there we go. Assault and battery. <laughs> so Rambo 3 for the Sega Master System, which we never really talk about. Ever. 1990 was the year of release. This is levels 2 and 5. Unfortunately, we don't have a composer for this one, so let's jump right into it. Sega Master System, the 1990 release came out, and levels 2 and 5 were the names of the track, I guess, because they take place during levels 2 and 5. No composer, Mr. or Mrs. Unknown. I don't know, what do you think? It's cool. I mean, I like <laughs> it's kind of like got a polyphonic lead there with a, with a couple of the square channels going at the same time. It's very dark sounding to me. You think so? I thought it sounded yeah. kind of brightish. No, the dun 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 Yeah. I don't know, it's like very plodding. It's very evil sounding to me. There's this ongoing kind of thing that they have over at VGM Jukebox. They play a lot of Master System games on that show and they always talk about how the Master System sounds sad. Like it's always like, it's just always in like this minor key. And I feel like this song kind of overcomes that a little bit with those harmonies, but but still, like like you're saying, I think you get kind of a almost a negative connotation yeah. from that. No, I agree. Um, so I figured that since uh, I'm not even sure if you knew this before we even started the podcast, but this game also had an FM yes. equivalent for yep. Japan. Yep. Uh, I also happened to rip that one. So you want to take a listen to that and see yeah. if it sounds any different? Definitely. All right, let's take a listen. So what'd you think? I gotta say, I like the Master System version better. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I mean, that one sounded kind of like like the sad little horn playing at the end of a bathroom or something. <laughs> yeah, and it wasn't even the full song, so yeah. I don't I don't know. I do like the bass. The bass sounds good. The bass is nice. Yeah. Then the percussion is just this kind of clanky little. Yeah. You know, very like. Yeah. I don't know. It, I, t- to me, the Master System got two things wrong with it as far as like what it couldn't do. One of which is drums. It always had really flat sounding right. drums. Yeah, there but, was no way to, there's no sample channel, so it's really hard to get drums. Right. And then I, I kind of feel like bass, they kind of like made one of the square channels like bass. 
pretty much. Like, it sounds very deep and dark sounding. So, naturally, the chip, the Sega PSG chip in the Master System could not go very low right. at all. You actually had to, like, hack the chip to be able to create bass tones. Mm. So, whenever you do hear bass, that means that the programmer, or the, the, you know, the sound programmer at least knew enough to be able to get down into that lower register. Sure, sure. But your notes down there were very out of tune and you didn't have a large, uh, you didn't have, like, a full octave range full of bass to go for. Mm -hmm. So, if you wanted to use bass, you had to really compose around what notes you had available to you in that range. So I, that that I think it has a lot to do with why a lot of the games on the Master System are very mid to high range only, sure, right. because it was just so much of a hassle to get mm -hmm. any sort of a low end out of it. I do feel like the Master System doesn't get its fair shake, and I, I would love to sit down and really dive deep into the Master System's yeah. soundtracks. I mean, granted, there's FM on some of them which sounds better at some points and then worse Depending on the others. game, yeah. Right, some right. of the FM soundtracks are phenomenal. Right. Some like this are like facsimiles of the PSG instead yep. of the other way around. Exactly. So I'm going to stick with the darker, dingier, you know, kind of <laughs> style. It's just more polyphonic. I mean, yeah. the, the FM track just sounded very like one instrument, mm -hmm. you know? Yep. It was, it was lackluster. Yeah, no, I agree. I don't think I've played this one. It's pretty much like, as you'd expect, it's Rambo and like Operation Wolf combined. Yeah. It's, it's basically your the screen is scrolling, it's auto scrolling. Upper Rambo Wolf. Upper Rambo Wolf. Yes. Upper Ram Upper Wolf Bow. So, I don't know. Okay game. I prefer the other Rambo game that came out on the Master System. It's more like a top-down, like uh, commando style type of shooter. Rambo 4, even Ramboner. Ever <laughs> Rampo. Rampo. <laughs> the Elephant Rambo. The Elephant Rambo. Wasn't that already done, though? No, I don't think so. I think there was a Tembo. Tembo. The Badass Elephant. Yes. Yes. yes that was that's a great right. game. That's right. So, yeah, I wish we knew a composer, but we don't, so let's move on. Sweet. All right, next up is my last pick of the day. This is a game called Ghost Squad. Uh, came out in the arcade in 2007 and then later ported to the Wii. This is track 19 from Tatsutoshi Narita and Yasuhiro Takagi.
And we're back, that was BGM40 from Tatsutoshi Narita and Yasuhiro Takagi off of the game Ghost Squad. Came out in 2007 on the arcade systems and then later on on the Wii. And I know what you're gonna say. Again, it's another techno-y track that really doesn't go anywhere. It's true. It's just kind of like what you get when you look at target shooting games, unfortunately. It happens when I look at your face. You get a really good techno song that doesn't go anywhere? Yeah. Kinda. All right. That's just what I see. When I shave in the morning, that's what happens. Yes. Yeah. So I mean, I like this track a lot. I mean, this is my kind of music, as always. It starts off with this really kind of funky techno beat, and then you get these scratchy synths that come in, and that warbly kind of LFO style bass. You're right. It's very repetitive. Probably more repetitive than I want it to be. The way this fits into the game is that <clears throat> the soundtrack is made up of like 60 different pieces of electronic music. They're all the same BPM. Um, they all sound different from each other. And as you go through the game, they kind of, it's almost like a DJ mix kind of. So it changes depending on your mission and, and what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So it's always constantly kind of like playing without pauses in between them. So this is just one of like a whole bunch of different kind of beat blocks that the game is mm-hmm. is made up of. And it works really, really well within the game because you're always got that energy level up. You're always listening to something different. This I, you is know, a fun one. Yeah. It, this, this particular track isn't meant to, to be listened to for like, you know, five minutes on end or whatever. It's I, meant to be I, just kind of a loop. I feel like this is what... Uh, this is the song that a... Uh, that a uh, girl who... Or girl or guy or whoever... Individual. Ju- a a hu- human being uh, <laughs> just got roofied to. Ouch. I, yeah. I, that's, I, I just... I feel oh, like... Oh, you know like that stereotypical... Yeah. Like, like, uh, like techno... 2000s era yeah. movie where this wow, is playing wow, in the background. Wow, wow, yeah. Wow. yeah. The detective walks into the... Yep, yep. The, the, sh- the shady rave where, yeah. you know, nefarious things are going on in the background. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly what Good I call. Yeah, definitely. But... This game is a lot of fun, and it's a really solid light gun game, but what really makes it fun for me, at least, is, you know, you're going through the game, and it's pretty much like if you took, you know, any virtual cop, time crisis type game, mm. but there's tons of unlockables that make it really fun, yeah, yeah. because you can wear, like, a, like all the enemies have, like, panda suits on and stuff <laughs> like that, like, all, like, goofy costumes and stuff like that, so that's what kind of makes it different and kind of make, yeah. kind of reinvigorates it for the for and the Wii. A lot of that stuff wasn't in the arcade right. game either. So yeah. they, they really tried to make it uh, so that it had a lot of replayability mm-hmm. in it, which is cool. Yeah. And then there's also a lot of weapons management and unlockable weapons and stuff. So yeah. there's a lot of strategery behind the whole thing too. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I had a lot of fun with this one. I, I feel like um, I would have liked to have seen the arcade version too because, you know, with the Wii, it's always like... You always end up with a downpour because it's not the full resolution, you know. Yeah. Uh, I, I I like games that are like you know upscale 1080p goodness, but you're um, a you're a um, I just don't like jaggies. You're ugh, I don't know, <laughs> dude. We play eight bit games. Yeah, you know I know, I mean? but like, I like that's, the, that's kind of the way I look at it. Is if I'm playing a game on the Wii, you know, I grew up with these games. So if I'm seeing a game like Ghost Squad. I'm like, oh, you know, graphics are pretty good. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, even if I saw, like, Far Cry on the Wii, you know what I mean? Like, it's it looks way worse than any other Wii game. Like, all those 
the problem that the Wii had is that nobody put money into developing games. They were just like, oh, this is a cash cow. We're just going to dump garbage yeah, games. True. Millions of people have it, so at least thousands of exactly. people are going to buy it. And so, like, yeah, there were a lot of downports uh, from a lot of developers, specifically, like, Activision did a really oh, terrible yeah. job. Shovel but, work. like... I think Sega really tried to step up their they game. They did. They really did. For the Wii. And, you know, they made games like Mad World. They made, you know, Ghost Squad. A lot of really cool titles came out for the Wii that Sega produced. I think they were working really tightly with Nintendo to yeah. make something unique and make something different. They really should have ported Virtual Cop 3. That would have yeah. been awesome. That would have been cool. But it also came out in 2003, and this came out in 2007. So, yeah. Eh. But, yeah, no, this game visually is pretty impressive. Uh, um you know, I, 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 again, I haven't played the arcade version, so you might be right. It may look way, way better, which usually is the case. Bigger hardware, better hardware. Right, But right. you also got to figure and factor in the fact that it's coming out on a console. So, you know, you can't really expect it to be 100% faithful to arcades. Unless it's Naomi and Dreamcast. Well, you know. Or Chihiro and Xbox. There's still or... people, you know, there's still people <laughs> that will debate that. There's plenty of people out there that are like, oh, I hate Naomi. And you're like, why? And they're like, reasons. I don't know. I've heard people complain about Naomi. I have. Seriously? Yeah. It's a Dreamcast. Yeah. Okay. Not me. Personally, yeah, I, I think they're know. great. But people, people find things to nitpick about. Interesting. Yeah. But uh, what about these composers? These composers compose music for video games. Namely... <laughs> uh, no, actually, they, they're both credited as a sound team, um, but Narita has no real composition credits to his name. Uh, he did mostly recording engineering, uh, and he was a sound director on some big Sega titles like Nights Into Dreams, mm. the Shenmue series, uh, Virtua Fighter, Panzer Dragoon, Yakuza, Outrun. You know, we're seeing Yakuza pop up a whole bunch sure. uh, here. So a lot of these Sega people, that's like... Kind of like uh, Sega's flagship title mm -hmm. at this point. Um, Yasuhiro Takagi, also known as Yas, has been a longtime Sega member since 1989, starting on OutRun. Uh, he was a sound director on Shenmue 2. Uh, he was the composer and sound manager alongside Hiro Hiroshi Kamaguchi on most of Sega's OutRun titles throughout the years. Uh, he composed music for Yakuza 4 in 2010, and his last game for Sega was Hyaki Tyson Imaki in 2012. Sounds delicious. After that, Total Ninja. Poof. Poof. Gone. Yep. So, uh, again, you know, lots of these... Sega's like, we should just have renamed this episode Sega Target Shooting Games or something. Yeah. Yeah. Sega and Capcom. Okay, well then, moving on to an NES game. <laughs> <laughs> Not from either of you those just, companies. You, yeah, you just stepped into that one. This is Freedom Force. This is my final track. 1988 was the year of release on the NES, and this is Stage 4 Town by Naoki Kodaka. Who? Naoki Kodaka. Who? Naoki Kodaka. Oh.
Welcome back! That was Freedom Force on the 1988 NES release. The track was Stage 4 Town, and that was by Mr. Naoki Kodaka. <laughs> I would never know it, though. It doesn't sound like any of his other stuff to me. Yeah, I mean, when you listen to the other tracks on this soundtrack, they they do sound a lot more like Naoki Kodaka. Hmm. But this track in particular kind of stuck out to me. It, it didn't sound like anything that he'd really ever done. Um, you know, it has that Sunsoft tone to it, but composition-wise, it's it feels more like it would fit in like a straight-up action game that wasn't done by Sunsoft, like a Mega Man-type game. You know? Yeah, or it sounds like it would lead off like an Iron Maiden album or right, something. Right, right. Yeah. yeah, I mean, da, 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 and I don't know. Those We were talking about this during the break those since in initially in the beginning are really kind of abrasive i think it's driver limitation or yeah. just the fact that you know kodaka was very early in his career maybe didn't know how to shape sounds as well as he does now or yeah. did at the end of his career maybe i mean um, this was probably one of one of the first titles uh that they really started to drive home that sunsoft sound yeah you know um but Naoki Kodaka, we talked about him numerous times on the podcast. We even talked about him last podcast, and he didn't even have any tracks in it. That's true. Very true. <laughs> He's just that good. Yeah, no. I mean, definite Sunsoft. Long stalwart. Right. <laughs> so, uh, this one I haven't played, but it's one of those light gun games that I really do want to check out. I mean, I looked and looked for NES games to pick from, and originally I was like, oh, let's do a Duck Hunt melody, but come on. Yeah, you know. It's three seconds long. Yeah, the, the tracks are super short. Everybody knows it. Everybody knows it. Like, let's let's kind of dig up some stuff that people really haven't heard. And this is just a dedicated like on game that has actual music that is longer than five seconds. So. This game box yes. was, like, at my video rental store. Okay. Forever and ever and ever. And it's like we rented every game around it except for that one. <laughs> right. And we couldn't rent that one because it had a dude with a gun on the cover and my mom was anti-violence. Oh, boy. So, yeah. The guy Never got the... to rent Freedom. Not that I really cared. I mean, the cover mm-hmm. didn't look that interesting to me. It looked kind of, I don't know. This is like pre-Virtual Cop light gun game. Yeah. It, it has many, very many of the tropes that they would use later on, like, you know, plane hijackings, you gotta stop that, like right, that sort right. of stuff. You're actually shooting people. Right, which right. Which would send my mom into a tizzy. Oh my so. goodness. Heavens, heavens to Betsy. I remember the guy in the front looked like Rutger Hauer a little bit. I was gonna say Rutger Hauer. I was also gonna say Kiefer Sutherland from Lost Boys. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah, the vampire kind of, style. Yeah. yeah, and he has this, which you really didn't see too many interracial people on game covers back then but there's like a black girl or like a darker skinned girl right next to him and you kind of get this vibe like oh maybe they're together and or she he's like saving her or you know maybe she's fighting with him like cool i don't know like it's it's kind of unique i always thought that the cover to this was pretty cool neat yeah definitely one of the more memorable nes game box arts um, yeah in my opinion you know game's not really that memorable or great we'll talk a little bit more about it after we kind of wrap up because we got a little special surprise for everyone at the end but uh yeah i don't know naoki kodaka i think could do better uh than this and he has uh, batman on the nes batman Return on the joker on the nes fester's quest fester's quest blaster master 
you know, pretty much all the games that he's really, really well known for have really fantastic soundtracks. And even some of the later stuff that he did, like, uh, for the Saturn and, you know, even some of the Super NES stuff. So that's going to do it for our show. That's about it for Target Shooting Games. We hope you guys liked it. Let us know what you think in the comments on facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Pixeltunes Radio. You can also go to pixeltunesradio.com. Leave us a comment there if you'd like as well. And you can also email us at pixeltunesradio at gmail.com. And that's a great way to send us Pixel Chat questions so we can answer them. Exactly. You can also check us out on Twitter at pixeltunesradio or check out our live well, not live, but check out our video stream on YouTube at youtube.com slash dongled. And then you've got your side project, Impulse Project, which is a chiptune project, podcast project that you do with our good friend Brian from Pixelated Audio. Yes, we have a huge show coming up very soon. I think I mentioned it a couple episodes ago, but... Uh, mm-hmm. Evoke, which is one of the biggest demo parties in the world, is coming up soon, and they actually approached us to do a, a full special on the history of the demo party. Why are you laughing? <laughs> I just picture a demo party, and it's just a party with, like, a bunch of people hanging out, and they're just passing cheese and, and crackers back and forth, and, you know, everyone's just calmly drinking sodas. Everyone's on a couch and just hanging out, and people are just passing PlayStation and Dreamcast you demos said around. That last time. <laughs> Actually, this one is huge. It's set up like it's live streamed. Uh, it's like a huge award show. It's like the Academy Awards okay. of for chip uh, of it's it's chip tune. It's um it's the interactive performances, mm. artwork, art installations. It goes way beyond just mm-hmm. bleeps and bloops at this point. Oh, sure. So uh, it's really cool to be a part of this this huge event that's taking place, you know, halfway across the world in Germany. So uh, that You're will be out. there? Oh, I wish. You gotta go there. Yeah, that will be out uh, mid-August, so keep an eye out for that Impulse Project episode. It's gonna be a double length. It's gonna be 12 songs. It's gonna be as long as a Pixel Tunes episode. Whoa. So, uh, yeah, we had a lot of fun recording it, and um, hopefully you'll learn a lot about the the demo scene and the Evo party uh, when you listen to it. I'll have so. to check it out. I uh, really, I don't know, I... I that whole realm of 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 sound, I've just really not delved into. Mm. I, I'm more familiar with video game music remixes yeah. and chiptune remixes and stuff like that than actual like songs composed with chiptune. Not that I'm against it or not for it or anything like that. I think it's great stuff. I just I feel like it's a world that I haven't penetrated into. Gross. So, <laughs> well, for people like you, I mean, Impulse Project is a great stepping stone into that scene. You know, you don't even need to start from episode one. Every Definitely. fifth episode, we introduce a new chip, mm-hmm. uh, whether it be uh, like the FM chips from the Genesis or the Commodore 64 or the ZX Spectrum, and you right. can learn about them and listen to music from them. So mm-hmm. uh, it's like a little research project. And then we do free picks in between them, which right, we kind of right. mix and match everything that we've played before. It's Chips Tune. So. Chips. Yeah, Chips Tune. It's Chip Tune Pixel Tunes Radio mixed with pixelated audio. Pretty much. Yeah. That's exactly the right description for Goodness. it. All right. Well, speaking of uh, video game remixes and stuff that you were just talking about, our next episode is going to be about video game remixes and covers. So stuff that maybe didn't appear in actual video game music. You know, yeah. 95 episodes, we can break the rules every once in a while, yeah. I think. So we'll do some... Uh... You know, you've been good. Have a beer. <laughs> Have a beer, kid. Have a beer, 12-year-old. <laughs> 12-year-old listener. <laughs> no, I mean, I love video game remixes and video game music as far as like uh, cover songs and stuff. So this will be fun because I really haven't sat down and kind of poured through all the classic stuff yeah, that I have, exactly. all the newer stuff. So, yeah, this will be fun. 
Exactly. So that will be coming out in two weeks from now. Word. All right. We'll see you then. But before we go. No. Yes. You have a special? I have a special. Give me your special. Oh, all over your face. Oh. All right. So Freedom Force, which we just talked about, we we had to discuss this because it is for BGM, a piece of BGM history. It is a piece of BGM history. This is a Naoki Kodaka uh, soundtrack that was used. It's a song that was used in another famous Naoki Kodaka soundtrack for the game, and it's Freedom Force, which is Codebreakers Countdown One. That's the name of the track, and Blaster Master Boss Battle Two. These are literally the same tracks. What a lazy jerk! I know, Just right? Putting the same. Not even. Ugh. No. But we wanted to end with this track just because we had to mention it in some way, shape, or form. So yeah, this is Freedom Force and Blaster Master coming at you, closing out the show again. Thanks very much for listening to Pixel Tunes Radio. I'm Mike. And I'm Ed. See you in two weeks, boys and girls. Peace out. <laughs>